Good morning, Current family. We are stopping this week to try and lift up from the chaos that is 2020 and to prepare our hearts collectively for Thanksgiving. I'll be honest, I initially found this uh, studying of gratitude kind of unappetizing as this year has been such a royal mess. I told David that we should just skip over Thanksgiving and start the rejoicing for Christmas as much of the internet appears to already have done. I think I've seen 20 decorated Christmas trees go up in my feed already. I saw a really funny post about decorating last month, um, Halloween, 2020, it was the scariest thing I could think of. And this one, if you divide 2020 by five, you get 404. So basically this entire year is an error message. Why divide by five? Who knows? So much of this year doesn't make any sense anyway. And then there's this lovely one. Welcome to 2020. If you do not already have an anxiety disorder, one will be provided to you. Thank you, creative people of the internet. It makes you want to laugh and cry all at the same time, but of course it's not really a joke because at the root of every joke is some reality. It has been a year of crushing trauma caused by a pandemic that has infected millions of people in our country and is getting worse. We all probably know someone who's had COVID by now and maybe even are starting to know someone who has died from it. Here in California, we also know those who have been displaced or lost their homes due to the worse than usual wildfires this fall. Add to this the unbelievable degree of division and strife in our country right now, the awareness of racial pain that we've been confronted with repeatedly this year, the economic struggles and mental health pandemic our country now faces, and not at all least, a deep sense of loss on so many levels in our personal lives. I heard a really insightful talk from a mental health expert addressing the reality that we don't need to have experienced COVID personally in order to characterize what we've gone through this year as trauma. There's daily loss from the cancellations, postponements of everything from sports to weddings to celebrations. The chaos of school and work at home, of not enough childcare, of difficult and sometimes impossible decisions that healthcare and frontline workers are facing every day. And for many in corporate America, the simple lack of boundary between work and home, translating into investing way too much of our time, way more than we ever wanted, into work this year. And of course, just the daily fear of the unknown and a layer of anxiety from something as simple as going to the store or deciding whether to see family for the holidays. 2020 has been messy, and we're probably dealing with more stress, anxiety, and brokenness in our lives than we've let on to ourselves, much less to others. But God always has a plan, and I'm glad the calendar forced us to consider Thanksgiving and work through it together today, because He has an answer for us. He always does. How do we prepare our hearts for gratitude in a year like this? Let's look to the scripture together this morning. David's been taking us through the book of Acts this fall in the series, We're Still the Church, looking at the beautiful and imperfect establishment of the early church, primarily through the ministry of the pastor and church planter, Apostle Paul. We're at a place in the book of Acts when Paul has arrived at Athens and is establishing a church in Corinth. The passage we're looking at today was written by Paul during uh, the period of time right where we are in the book of Acts. So we're just making a slight pivot for the week from the narrative about Paul to a first-person look at what Paul is writing himself during this time. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 6 through 16. For God, who said, Let light shine out of darkness, made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. 
We are hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed, perplexed, but not in despair, persecuted, but not abandoned, struck down, but not destroyed. We always carry around in our body the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our body. For we who are alive are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that his life may be revealed in our mortal body. So then, death is at work in us, but life is at work in you. It is written, I believed, therefore I have spoken. With that same spirit of faith, we also believe and therefore speak, because we know that the one who raised the Lord Jesus from the dead will also raise us with Jesus and present us with you in his presence. All this is for your benefit, so that the grace that is reaching more and more people may cause thanksgiving to overflow to the glory of God. Therefore, we do not lose heart. Though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. This is being written by Paul during a particularly discouraging period of his ministry. His relationship with the church at Corinth was known for being contentious and difficult. Corinth was a Roman colony and had been for about a century by the time Paul got there with a rich culture and known for being quite self-important and caught up in the temporal aspects of life. Applicable to us here in the Silicon Valley for many reasons. I don't think I need to lay them out. But especially in 2020, when life is reminding us at every turn that the comforts we enjoy are easily canceled and life as we know it is very fragile. We see in this text today some truths that can help bring us to Thanksgiving in 2020. First, our lives are fragile and we see it more clearly this year. This passage doesn't mince any words by comparing us to earthenware jars of clay, not Le Creuset. We're talking about those simple brown pots that kids will paint on and then drop and shatter as soon as they hit the ground. It's into these fragile everyday vessels that God chooses to deposit the greatest treasure, the beautiful light of his glory, when we say yes to following him. This image of a plain, easy-to-break pot holding a lighted treasure provides a stark picture of our fallibility and fragility as human beings in comparison to the invaluable worth of God's glory and eternity. Perhaps the reality that we are physically vulnerable has hit home in new ways for us in 2020 as we face unknown after unknown, a quickly spreading invisible virus that is canceling and postponing anything, leave everything, isolating us in lockdown in various shades uh, for much longer than expected. Maybe we've been watching a loved one struggle or fight for their life from COVID or other disease. The brevity of this life really started to hit home for me, watching my dad's body physically weaken in his last year of battling cancer. I really started to understand verse 16 that we just read. Outwardly, we are wasting away. Inwardly, we are being renewed day by day. In months, he went from a healthy, gregarious, life-giving person to gaunt, immobile, and unable to speak in his last days. The more his body declined, the more determined he was to tell anybody that came to his bed about heaven and what Jesus had done for him. I can still feel the fragility of his hand in mind those last few hours before he passed. I actually took a picture of it so I wouldn't forget. The dad that was so strong and carried me everywhere when I was little, who I thought could protect me from anything, his hand now so weak and still in mine. Our lives are fragile. Maybe for you it's not the virus. It's the state of our world the news cycles, the divisive politics, the sense of having no power over the pain that you or others are experiencing. Or it might be feelings that you have toward work or a relationship in your life, feeling stuck and without an out in this daily treadmill that is lockdown. 
The stress of 2020 has likely made us messier people than we'd like to be, not just physically, although many of us are living in sweats and scrubs. Over here, we have two kids doing school at home and a puppy. So our house is a perpetual pile of schoolwork and toys and dog chews. But we're not just talking about physical mess. We know from our own lives and from the privilege that we have to have roles in people's lives that mess goes much deeper than the surface. Marriages are messier in this 24-7 together lifestyle. Addictions are easier to fall back on. Levels of depression and anxiety are skyrocketing. Coworker relationships are more tense and less personal. Isolation keeps us from laughing together, from being real together, from getting under the surface into the stuff. It's easy to feel like we lack what others want or need. Any one of these, much less piled together, easily shows us our lack and our brokenness if we're willing to acknowledge it. At some point, we all come face to face with our mortality and that in and, of in and of ourselves, we won't be enough. We can't be enough. We don't have it. Perhaps we have felt more of our brokenness this year than we might otherwise, thanks to COVID. What a gift to thank God for. Why? Because it is precisely as we acknowledge our fallible, fragile existence that we begin to reveal the unbelievable power God has to bring dead things to life. It is our lack that reveals God's power. Paul's descriptions of this life ring true in 2020, do they not? Let's look again at verse 8. We are hard-pressed on every side but not crushed, perplexed but not in despair, persecuted but not abandoned, struck down but not destroyed. He is writing in the context of extreme difficulty and suffering laid down for the sake of the gospel, carrying around in his body the death of Jesus, suffering so that eternity can be seen by others through his life. We've seen many of these play out as we've gone through the book of Acts together this fall as Paul travels around starting new churches, imprisonment, beatings, shipwreck, hunger, cold, literally being pursued by his enemies on every side, perplexed as to why it's happening to him, struck down. Some commentators believe this meant depression, but not crushed, abandoned, or destroyed. His life was hard as he devoted himself unwaveringly to the gospel and to more and more people knowing about the hope of eternity. And because he regularly allowed himself to be in situations where he needed God's power to pull him through, in jail cells, on trial, being stoned by mobs, his ministry only became more effective through each instance of God showing up. In our weakness, God's strength is made perfect. Paul talks about this at length later on in chapter 12. He quotes Jesus, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. This can be really difficult for us to resonate with and actually understand in self-reliant Silicon Valley. On the surface, many lack very little, or at least we appear to. How often do we allow ourselves to be in positions where we are reliant on God's power to make it through, where God gets the glory whenever we succeed? How often are we willing to reveal our mess and our cracks, even to one another, such that we can be freed to trust God with the result? When our relationships open up, guards come down, and we can pour grace into one another and to those around us who do not yet have the hope of eternity. I learned the most interesting lesson in this when Caleb was a baby. 
We had neighbors next door that we really enjoyed. They had a son that was Caleb's age and we were learning parenthood together. We would hang out and have food and go to the park and it was really fun, but I craved more and deeper connection. We had just moved a year ago and most of my friends in the area didn't yet have kids, but my friend next door was the neatest, most put together person ever. So I did my best to put on my put together self too and our relationship lived on the surface. We would invite them to church events and to uh, do church things, but they were polite, not overly open to coming, and my friend definitely wasn't interested in talking about spiritual things. And because I was prideful and not comfortable with showing my lack, I never asked her for any help, even when I needed it. We didn't have any family in our day-to-day -day life uh, at that point. My parents were still down in San Diego, David's parents our way. Uh, we regularly had people in our home for ministry and I had a consulting business and there were times where I really needed some help, but I didn't ask and she didn't either. That winter, we went on a retreat. David was a young adults pastor at the time and I brought Caleb along to hang out because his ministry was being cuddled and being passed from arm to arm. Pretty much soon as we arrived, uh, Caleb's nose started running and he started sneezing. We're all in close quarters and I'm really stressed that he's sick and it's gonna get everybody who's holding him sick too. That first night, Caleb's up all night with a stuffed up nose and so he doesn't sleep, we don't sleep. And the next morning, we're like, yeah, that's it. Caleb and I have to get home, but how? I can't take the car because every car is packed with the exact right number of people. The others wouldn't be able to get home later. David can't drive us home. He has to lead the retreat. So we call David's mom and ask for a huge favor. He drives us halfway during free time and she meets us to drive us the rest of the way home. Nine eye to the rescue, so grateful. We pull up to our place, it's already dark. We can't wait to get inside and dang it, I realize I don't have a key to the house. Oh my gosh, I was so exhausted. I can still feel that sinking feeling in my chest. You know, I have a one-year-old that's hungry. I can't keep my mother-in-law any longer. She still has an hour to go to get home. I have no choice but to knock on my neighbor's door and ask for help. Graciously, they let us in. They feed Caleb dinner. I call a locksmith and a couple of hours later, relief, we're into our home. And then the next day, our dryer breaks. We have a baby, a lot of laundry, no backyard to dry it out in, and it's too wet for that anyway. No one's going to come fix it on the weekend. David's not yet home. So again, I text my friend and ask for help. I'm a mess, and I'm forced to invite her into my mess, feeling shame because she's still all put together, and it really wasn't very fun. Then the craziest thing happens. A couple of days later, we're out on a walk with the boys, and she starts sharing hard thing after hard thing with me. We don't just get under the surface. We take a deep dive all the way down to the deepest of deeps. The baby that she lost, the pain that she still feels, the questions that she has about whether she'll ever see that baby again. Tears, mess, brokenness, and God's power through and through. The easiest invitation to share about eternity that I would not in my right mind have known how to ask for or be vulnerable enough to invite. In his beautiful way, God put me in a terrible position where I had to show my cracks that he would get the glory. Because it was through that crack that my friend heard about what Jesus had done for her and the hope of eternity. This picture of a vessel breaking to reveal God's power is illustrated quite beautifully in scripture. In Judges chapter 7, there's a well-known story about Gideon, a leader in the Israelites, who presides over a miraculous and decisive victory against the Midianites, despite lacking the manpower. 
His army is outnumbered five to one, but God tells him he still has too many men because if they win at five to one, Israel will say, my own hand has saved me and believe it's because of their own skill as the underdogs, their strength or their strategy, not God's power. So God has Gideon cut 32,000 men down to 300. They are now not outnumbered five to one, but 400 to one. They bide their time and attack at night. Each of the 300 men is given not weapons, but a trumpet and a jar of clay filled with a torch to hide the light. They surround the Midianite camp, and when the signal is given, they break the jars to reveal the light, blow the trumpets, and cry. The Midianites awake to chaos and sudden light, and giving them the mistaken understanding that Gideon's army is far larger than it is. God has them attack themselves, and the result is a hugely improbable victory for the Israelites. The role the clay jars played in this battle is, get this, to break at precisely the right time. And that breaking helped bring about ultimate victory. Could it be that God doesn't allow us, just allow us to feel inadequate or to break at times, but that our cracks can be used for good and to help others see the bright light of hope that God offers in eternity? Death is at work in us, verse 12, so that life is at work in you. When I realized what this verse meant, it blew my mind. When we go through hard things, it can bring life to others. And we're not just talking about happy thoughts. We are talking about ultimate, eternal life. It is in our cracks, in the places where we are not sufficient, that God's power is most clearly revealed. This is not a formula, it is a heart posture. Paul wants us to see that our willingness to acknowledge our insufficiency, to speak out about God's grace in our lives, and perhaps even be grateful for what we lack, is ironically our superpower. Humble gratitude is the button that we press to activate the all-surpassing power of God in our lives. And we see in this passage that as this grace reaches more and more people around us, thanksgiving overflows to the glory of God. This year has been painful, no doubt, but we have a choice on how we look back and remember the pain. Our brains are designed and wired for this. As people, the arc of our story matters. In Atul Gawande's best-selling book, Being Mortal, he puts forth a really compelling argument on the role of medicine in aging and death that the suffering induced from medicine's typical goal of extending life may not actually net a good life in the end. Toward the end of the book, he shares a powerful example, a study done on the human experience of pain. Researchers gave patients a way of evaluating their level of pain as they stayed awake through colonoscopy and kidney stone procedures. Doesn't sound fun. And then they also asked them at the end of these procedures to look back and rate the overall pain. They found that no matter how long the procedure lasted, how much pain was endured in total, whether four minutes or 64 minutes, the average level of pain reported by the patients was from the average of two moments, the worst moment and the last one. What they have dubbed the peak end rule shows that the brain has two ways of evaluating suffering. An experiencing self, which we're all familiar with, the pain as we're going through it, and a remembering self that gives all the weight of judgment afterward to these two single points in time, the worst and the last. No matter how long the suffering, if the procedure ended well, it lowers the overall experience of pain. It's not a Christian book, so Gawande's thesis has nothing to do with eternity. It has to do with ending life here on earth well. 
But what if the end is not our last breath here? What if the end that we're arcing toward is the beautiful, weighty glory of eternity that we can't even begin to imagine here? The Bible is clear that eternity has none of the pain that we are being clouded with in 2020. Disease, strife, addiction, tears. Instead, it will be full of joy, freedom, and light. And that amazing ending, averaged with the worst of this life here, that will be but a minute in comparison, will render the pains that we experience today not painful in retrospect at all. This year has been pretty tough. Scripture does not minimize how hard-pressed life can be. But I think we all know 2021 isn't necessarily going to just magically get better. 2020 hasn't made our lives fragile and vulnerable. It has simply revealed to us what further revealed to us what scripture has been telling us all along, that this life is incomplete and broken. Left to our own devices, we would be crushed, abandoned, destroyed. The last breath here on earth would be it. But thanks be to God that Jesus came down to earth, took on an earthen vessel, fragile, weak, subject to pain, and lived a spiritually unbroken life, sinless with no cracks, and then went to the cross, hanging all of our cracks, our fears, our addictions, our most painful relationships, our biggest blow-ups, everything that we lack, dying with him and then coming to life, such that when we acknowledge our need for him and what he did on the cross, immediately his grace covers our broken places and we receive hope of a future where there is nothing to break, nothing to fear, no strife or disease or division. If you've never invited this eternal hope into your life, I'd like to invite you to do that today. You can do that today. You can receive that grace. If you'd like to take that faith step, let us know by filling out the connection card or by pressing that button in the chat bar. And we'd love to equip you with some resources to get to know Jesus better. If you're already a follower of Jesus, what does this passage show us about gratitude? In a year like 2020, a heart overflowing with thanksgiving can be sourced ultimately from what? From the gift of understanding ourselves as broken vessels in need of grace, which activates our own desire for eternity, brings us to speak and reveal God's power to those around us, and results in more and more people coming to have this hope of glory. Thank you, Jesus. Can we challenge ourselves to access this kind of gratitude this week? To set aside 30 minutes of our time off for the holiday, to put the mess of this year in front of God and ask him to first allow us to see our own broken places, areas where we may be messy or weak. If it helps to have a tool for self-reflection, ask questions that the psalmists often ask. What is hard? What do I fear today? What do I dread doing? What am I thinking about more than anything else? What am I worrying about more than anything else? And as we begin to see these areas of our lives, I pray God would give each of us an appropriate space to humbly reveal one weakness, one broken place to someone in our life, someone that knows us and talks to Jesus. And I pray that they would overwhelm us with God's grace in that moment. And I pray also that God would give us an opportunity in the weeks ahead to reveal something broken, something lacking, a mess to somebody who doesn't know Jesus, a coworker, a friend, a neighbor, such that God's power may have opportunity to be revealed in our lives. The arc of our story doesn't end in the mess that is 2020. God willing, we'll look back and this will be a blip. But if we allow the pain of this year to move us to a richer, more resonant desire for eternity, 
for what is not yet seen. And it drives us to gratitude and a humble willingness to show people our broken places, to let people in, to give God glory for what's happening in our lives. Wow. 2020 will have been, in retrospect, impactful and needed. Can we believe it? Let's thank God for it together. Lord, thank you so much for the privilege to be broken vessels through which your power can be revealed to those around us. We pray that you would give us gratitude for our broken places and that you would use them to bring hope to others. Lord, we pray that you would allow us as a community here in the Silicon Valley to hold out eternal hope. It's in your strong name we pray. Amen.